This week, our episode is brought to you by Rydon Sunglasses. Rydons are similar to, but legally distinct from, any other brand you might be aware of. They keep the sun out of your eyes and make you look slightly more wealthy than you actually are at a certain distance. Rydon Sunglasses. Haggle for a pair at your local souk today! Hello, and welcome to All Points In Between, the podcast that gets into passive-aggressive arguments with the sat-nav. This week, we'll be embarking on the final part of our journey down the Atlantic coastal route to Senegal. In previous parts, we've gone from Marrakesh to Nouakchott in Mauritania, and in this leg, we'll be making our final border crossing and finally reaching the far side of the Sahara Desert as we arrive at the Senegalese capital, Dakar. The idea of this mini-series has been to provide a guide to driving the route, including good overnight parking spots and things to do along the way. The aim when I wrote it was to spark a bit more interest in people doing the route, as in spite of the difficulties involved at times, it is surprisingly doable in pretty much any type of motorhome or van. It'd be great to hear of people's experiences on this route or any other lesser known road trips that you've done. You can contact us at allpointspod at gmail.com or allpointscast on Twitter. So with that, and for the final time in this series, may I have some atmospheric open source desert music. I also produce the show, so yes, yes I may. As with the other drives we've made towards borders on this trip, an early start out of the Mauritanian capital, Nouakchott, is recommended. My own departure was delayed when I sunk into sand trying to get off the yard that I'd parked in. One of the staff at the hostel helpfully suggested that I just gun the engine and power my way out of the small pit that Abby had been dug into. seemed a bit counterintuitive to me, but... I thought, this guy lives out here in the desert, so he probably knows better than I do. So I duly revved the motor, the wheels span, and before long I'd succeeded in doing nothing more than turning my small pit into a considerably larger pit. I also now had a left front tyre that had been so thoroughly buffed down that it wouldn't have looked out of place on a drag strip. After resorting to the trusty trowel in my toolkit, and some leftover matting, I was able to get something under the wheel that would provide a little bit of purchase. With a little persuasion, the other guests in the hostel then recruited into pushing my three-tongue girl out of the pit and onto the road. The spare wheel I have is a full-size one, so there wasn't a desperate need to find a replacement, but it seemed foolhardy to head out into the desert minus a spare. For a city where every other business is a tyre shop, it turned out to be a little difficult to get hold of a new one for Abby. 
there was never a huge French presence here, even when it was a colony. But the locals have definitely mastered the Gallic Shrug. To master this, drop your chin to somewhere around nipple level, pout, and make the slightest movement with your shoulders while turning your hands out. My favourite translation of the shrug comes from Bill Bryson, who said it roughly equates to accent coming up. Life is a bucket of shit, monsieur. I quite agree. And while I am prepared to acknowledge this fact, I shall offer you no sympathy because, monsieur, this is your piece of shit. See? Bet you didn't know I could do that. After a few hours of fruitless searching, I did finally come across a shack selling a tyre in the size that I needed. Not only this, but they had five that I could choose between. A quick glance at them all revealed them to be snow tyres. In Mauritania. One of the hottest countries in the world. How they came to be in a shack in Nouakchott on a 30 degree Celsius day in February is probably a story in itself. But I still bought one of them. Beggars can't be choosers after all. If you're caught in a similar situation, the best advice I can provide is persistence. If the 10th place you go to doesn't have your tyre, then you never know. Maybe it'll be the 11th. Before you leave the city, you should also get hold of some West African francs to pay for the crossing to Senegal, as the crossing that I'm going to be talking about today doesn't have a cash point anywhere within about 50 kilometres of it. Eventually, it's time to hit the road south. You're going to be back on the N2, which is the one that you've been following all the way down the coast. As you pass the large container port to the south of the city, you prepare for your final four hours or so of desert driving. The villages here are a little closer together than on the road from Nuadibu to Nuachot. Each one of them a collection of single-storey blocks with triangular corrugated iron roofs. The villages back onto the dunes and make for some pretty impressive photos. Particularly if you also catch a herd of camels making its way up the main street. Most of them also have a small cafe where you'll be able to get some tagine or grilled chicken for lunch. As with before, just always make sure that you're topping up your fuel. I know I'm starting to sound like your mum repeating that, but you'll just have to put up with that because it's important. When you reach the village of Lewida, it's around two hours into your journey, you'll need to make a choice. There are only two overland crossings into Senegal, and it's at this village where the roads to each of them branch. The busier and easier to reach crossing is the ferry at Rosso. There's plans to replace this ferry with a bridge by 2025, although I found news of this in a 2018 article, and when I was there in 2023, ground hadn't even been broken. So I wouldn't hold my breath. Because it's a ferry across the river, the border post is a pretty hectic and chaotic place. Park for Night lists several spots near the crossing where you can stay overnight. 
and I would strongly recommend taking the time to park up and explore the crossing on foot, getting to know the lay of the land before making the crossing yourself. This crossing also does have a problem with scammers. I've already spent about an hour and a half moaning about this to one of my friends in an earlier episode. It's called Anatomy of a Scam, so go ahead and listen to that if you want some more information on it. It's really good. Don't worry, you won't miss anything here. I'll wait. Welcome back. For this episode, I will focus on the other smaller crossing at a place called Diana. This involves turning off the N2 at the village of Luida and driving through the Diarling National Park. While the crossing at Diama is a lot more straightforward, it's the drive to get there that really isn't for the faint-hearted. The road is only passable for a normal motorhome or van during the dry season, which is from around November to March. The rest of the year, you'll need to take your chances at Rosso, unless you're in a particularly heavy-going 4x4. At the entrance to the park, You'll need to pay a 2,000 Uyghur fee to a ranger, and they should be able to let you know if the condition's passable. 2,000 Uyghur is about £40, just for reference. The route takes you down about 50 kilometres or so of unpaved dirt road. My own drive along it was mostly spent gripping the steering wheel in terror as I navigated rolling bumps and humps, and the bone-shaking ridges of the dried track. However, at a leisurely 10 to 15 kilometres an hour, I did have plenty of time to take in the landscape and the wildlife. A particular treat is if you're lucky enough to come across a troop of patus monkeys. These ground dwellers can often be seen racing across the park, and indeed overtaking my motorhome at speeds of up to 50 kilometres an hour. If the worst does happen and you break down on this road, it's pretty busy during the dry season. Diama is the most popular crossing for tourists during the Atlantic coast route, and so there ought to be some Europeans or park rangers passing by pretty often who can give you a tow back to Luida. But for the time being, let's assume everything goes well and you make it to the border post on the Senegal River. Depending on how early you started, you can either cross now, or you can stay overnight at a campsite a short driveway. Given the popularity of this crossing with tourists, the border guards on both sides of it are pretty used to spending their days shepherding Europeans through the bureaucracy, so there won't be as many issues as you found entering Mauritania when you might have needed a guide. After making it through the Mauritanian side, there's then a short drive across the bridge before doing your final bit of border bureaucracy for this trip. Well, other than when you have to do all this again on the drive back. But let's not think about that for now. I would advise checking travel advice for costs to enter Senegal and insure your vehicle. I've linked to an article in the show notes that gives an impression of the Diana crossing and what you might expect there and does give an overview of costs, as they were at the time when the article was written. 
if it all goes well, this will be the most painless border crossing of the whole trip, and you'll soon find yourself back on the asphalt and heading towards the country's second city, San Luis. Before being carved into Senegal, this port city and now UNESCO heritage site was the capital of the French colony of Mauritania. The centre is still made up of 19th and early 20th century architecture, and it put me in mind of how I imagine New Orleans looks. If you've driven straight through from Nouakchott, then this city makes a pretty good overnight stop. Much of the old city is situated on two long, thin islands that make up the mouth of the Senegal River. On the furthest out, Langu du Babui, yes, I did get that correct, don't check, there is the Hotel Dior, and this place allows camper vans and small motorhomes, and it does make for a good base for exploring the city. To the south, the spit continues with beaches facing the Atlantic. There's some pretty good surf spots here for people who are beginners in the sport. I wasn't able to do it because my shoulder is dead and I've been told I'm not allowed to do extreme sports anymore. But it looked like awfully good fun for the people who were able. To the north, there is actually another border crossing into Mauritania. But this one is a real dirt track that you can only pass on foot or in a very extreme off-road vehicle. The central island of the city is the real old town of San Luis, the old capital. It's well worth wandering around just to see the architecture and the life in the streets. Might also be one of your last opportunities to see it. San Luis as a city is one of the places that is at most threat of climate change around the world. Even a small sea rise will see this town that sits on an island in the mouth of a river end up under several feet of water. So, visit now while you can. Once you've finished with San Luis, Carrying on south will take you through a series of small towns and villages as you head towards the capital. As you pass through these, you'll notice that speed humps are placed seemingly at random, and they're so well camouflaged that you'll barely see them until you're on top of them. Cue every item in your van being subjected to a very, very rigorous impact test. For the most part, the road to Dakar is a single lane until it reaches the outskirts of the city. So the time it takes to get there from San Luis is largely based on how many lorries you get stuck behind. Not that it matters too much what time you arrive in the city. You'll find that it's always rush hour anyway. But if you've already braved the demolition derby in Nuadibu, then you should have no problem here. Along the coast leading into the city, there are a number of campsites on the beach and also one near the famous Pink Lake, about 35 kilometres from Dakar. This unusual landmark is caused by a type of algae that thrives in the lake's hypersaline waters. If you're so inclined, and you need a new 
quirky photo for your social medias, you can go swimming here. The algae isn't harmful to humans, although you probably will need an ice scraper to get all of the salt off you afterwards. These campsites along the coast are all within driving distance of the capital, and can make for a bit more of a peaceful base than being in Dakar itself. But if, like me, you prefer to step out of your van and straight onto the streets, then there's a really good parking spot out to the west of the city, at the foot of the Monument to African Renaissance. The car park here is guarded, and it will cost you about £5 a night. It feels very safe, and a secure spot to leave your vehicle. It also offers some of the best views over the city. The Renaissance Monument itself is a 52 metre, 16 million pound North Korean built colossus. It depicts a family looking out towards the Atlantic Ocean, whilst looking very buff and triumphant in the process. Personally, I've always been partial to a bit of socialist realism art, but I have notoriously awful taste. The public response to the statue since it was completed in 2010 has been mixed at best. If you want to have a view across the city where you can't see the statue, then there is a viewing platform in the father's head that can be accessed for a few pounds. The city itself has plenty of expat bars and beach clubs, if that's your kind of thing. Europeans based in Mauritania come to Dakar fairly often when they want a legal night out on the lash. Indeed, it was the glowing stories that I heard about the city from everybody on the road that did lead to me continuing to drive down there. But for now, we're going to carry on west to the beachside suburb of Les Almadies. Don't look it up. The pronunciation, I mean. Now it's time to park your van up for the final time. Take a wander over to the nearby nondescript spit at the south end of the beach. And with that, you are now the most westerly person in the whole of Africa. It's here that I'm going to abandon you to think about what you did. The nations crossed, the Milky Way stretching out across the desert skies, the bumps and scrapes and awkward situations that you got into along the way that are all stories you can dine out on when you get back home. When you're ready, it's time to turn the motorhome round and do the whole thing again in the other direction. I hope you've enjoyed this mini-series. In the upcoming episodes, I'm planning on going back to a format where I cajole probably Matt or Roy or both into talking to me about something travel-related for half an hour or so. If you have any thoughts on the episode formats you prefer, or just want to hurl abuse, it is the internet after all, then you can get in touch at allpointspod at gmail.com or on Twitter at allpointscast. Right then, time to hit the road again. I look forward to rambling at you again in a couple of weeks. Bye!
if it all goes well, then this will be the most painless border crossing of the whole trip. And you'll find yourself back on Ashfalt and heading towards the country's second city of St. Nearly said St. Louis. Ugh. 